Hello and welcome to the Aligned Leader podcast. I'm Daniel Jordi and I'm your host. And on the Aligned Leader, we feature some of the most cutting edge technology CEOs and digital executives in Switzerland in order to empower next generation entrepreneurs to cut their learning curve and in order to establish Switzerland as a global digital innovation hub. Welcome to the show today. Today I have Matthias Wegmüller on the show, who's the founder of Qumram, and uh, they just had an exit about three months ago or so. And uh, so it's uh, it's a very interesting story that we're going to dive into, according uh, you know regarding that specific uh, topic as well. We're going to talk a little bit about your story, about the future as well. So let's dive right in, Matthias. Tell us a little bit more about who is Matthias and uh, what's your story that got you to where we are today? Well, thanks, Daniel, for, for being on your show. I'm super excited to talk to you today. Um, well, um, myself, um, put me in context, uh, in the Qumran context. Um, I, I founded that in uh, 2011. Uh, four years before that, I quit being an employee. I started my own consulting company. It was called uh, Dankplatz. We actually also exited that in, in 2017, but I was just a non-operative partner for the last few years. So the Qumran story really starts 2011. Um, it was um, Simon um, and, a, and a couple other friends back then. There were four of us who said, let's, let's do that. Let's, let's build an enterprise software company uh, which, had a, which had an easy goal. Uh, we said, hey, look, the digital age is uh, it's all on the web. Um, but it disappears. It's, it's so volatile. Um, we have numbers out there, you know, every URL um, after about an average of six months was not actually um, online actual anymore. So we had the idea at the very beginning to build a web archive to actually keep that. And, um, and it, was a, it was a customer need. It was a Swiss customer, Suva, the insurance company, who said, hey, we, we need exactly such a solution. We need to keep track what we publish because we want to communicate over our website. It's our main communication stream, but we always have the disclaimer, whatever we say on the website is actually not um, reliable and not binding, which is a big joke um, because you, on one hand, you want to have it as the main communication stream, but on the other hand, you cannot rely on it. So the compliance officer, very rare species of compliance officer, very innovative, future thinking. He said, hey, we need to keep record of that. This is how it started. And I think, you know, if you have the chance as an entrepreneur to actually start with a business need, with a demand from the market, I mean, it's the best situation because quite often you start the other way around. You have a great technology idea. You think you know how the future is going to look like but you don't know if the, how the market is going to react to it. So we were very fortunate from the start that we know that we need at least one, at least one compliance officers at Suba shared the same vision as we had. And, and this is how we started. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the normal thing. You just start, what do you need? Okay, we need someone who builds the software. Okay, we need someone in delivery who delivers the project. So who in our um, 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 group can do that best? As I said, we were four, uh, one really into tech, the three others more into customer relation, project management, and, and that's, that's how we went. And uh, uh, it was cool because uh, after Suva, 
we had interests from other big Swiss players. There was a um, CSS and other endurance. There was Zurich Cantonal Bank. There was UBS. So we were on a good roll uh, in the start. We thought, hey, look, this is uh, going to be a, a piece of cake, huh? so to say. Uh, and and we, we did many different things at the time. I started my own family. Uh, the other ones, uh, uh, you know, we, we had our own office. And then, of course, after about the first 12 months, we hit the first uh, down, downsize because uh, UBS got delayed. Um, no, no other um, uh, contracts were coming in. And that's just the, the normal cycle. And that happened, you know, in the six, 12 months again and again. Um, and then, you know, then, then entrepreneur really starts because being on the roll, winning, winning deals, that, that's all easy. Um, but when it gets hard, then, then when it sees, uh, how do we do it? Um, uh, and then team communication, uh, super important um, communication with the customer. We were all bootstrapped. So um, we were doing some consulting projects on the site to keep us through those through those downturns. Uh, we had a one employee, two employees back then. We always managed to pay their salaries. Uh, we stepped down paying out our salaries. Uh, yeah, then you have to negotiate at home, tell your wife why salary is not coming this month, might not be coming next month. Um, and you just got to be prepared for those situations. Otherwise, you're too much worried about these very um, existential uh, stuff instead of focusing really um, winning the next deal. Now, this is, I mean, if I just can jump in there, this, I, I love how vividly you talk about that. Obviously, it's still very fresh on your memory um, because there was a lot of emotions involved. It's very vivid. And I mean, the, I mean there's a couple of just points that I want to um, elaborate here that I think are so important. I mean, one of them is, um, you know, not looking at entrepreneurship or like, you know, company growth or anything as a straight line. It's like, you know, just go like, okay, let's start this off and, you know, let's, let's stop everything else. And just like, let's just do that and everything. Um, but always sort of like, always be aware that, okay, it's, it's a very bumpy road. Um, you have actually no idea at all what's there, what, what will be in three months or six months or in 12 months at all. And, uh, yes, you're working with a very clear strategy and goals and vision and everything, right. Great team and everything. But at the end of the day, you just simply don't know where it's going. And um, like the way you talk about it, it's just so uh, interesting because I've, I've, I've rarely heard people talk about it in that way to also look at maybe you know, the dark side of entrepreneurship or whatever. Um, you know, entrepreneurship is an incredibly exciting thing, right? Yeah. But you also want to wanna paint it in a, in a realist, realistic picture and not just with all the fluff around it. So uh, I really appreciate that. So let's, let's, let's dive a bit more into the next phase. I also want to hear a bit more about, you know, the, the downturn there. Like, how do you cope with something like that personally? How do you communicate things like that to all the stakeholders involved as well? Yeah. yeah. No, um, I think that's, that's the key. As I said, it's, um, it, you can look at sports. Uh, look, at a, look at a tennis career. Uh, I mean, in men's tennis, it's super obvious these days. They're all injured. They're off court for half a year. And only if you are passionate, you will come back. Only if you have the love for the sport or the love for your business, you will be back. Because everyone has the downside. And, and I always say, I can tell the entrepreneur, the, the ones I really believe they are entrepreneurs, they tell me about their downsides and how they got out of it. Um, 
and and you know we had we had split up in in our team in the end because um, uh, part part of our of our original four they didn't want to they didn't want to go through that or they didn't believe that we're going to get up again and, and stand up again and and go international actually go after our dreams because because it's hard but I I, I tell you it's it's worth it and um, it's. It's in Silicon Valley, and that was always the big discussion. Now, we, we talked to Silicon Valley companies and they said, hey, look, within the first three years, if you don't hit those numbers, you're not going to make it. Start, start, put it down, get after your next idea, restart from scratch. And I think this is a, this is a Swiss, this is a European thing. No, you got to, it, it sometimes takes longer. And there is a there is a number in in for for Swiss European companies. It says it takes ten years to establish a B two B software company. Um, if you look at the big players in the financial industries like the Avalox, the Appways, the established fintech players, it's it's true for them. In the end, and we'll talk about that later. We we exited after six and a half years, uh, maybe a bit early. Um, some say I would say was right just the perfect time um, but that means it, it is a long long journey to actually get there um, and, and you've got to be aware uh, it's I mean especially if you're super young I uh, mean if you start straight from, from university um, you got to know and and I think it's it's better that you that you know yourself than, than an investor will tell you later down down the road because then it's and it's coming from the outside and either this coach is super good and you accept him as a coach or uh, or then it will it will do some some damage on on your personality and, and on your on, on your motivation level i find that really interesting you know that the time period as well i mean nobody ever talks about that you know it's always like you know three years and you know it's just you gotta hit big and all that and everything and um I find it really interesting in the Swiss culture because, you know, as Swiss, we both are Swiss and we, we've grown up in, in a culture where it's really about step by step. Don't think too big, you know, you know, it's just like very small. And then you have that Silicon Valley, which is 180 degrees on the other side. And I find it really interesting when those extremes come together and you can embrace both sides. And I feel like that's what you've done. And that's also that why you're able to talk about this in that, in that way. Because there's always, I call it the incubation period, which is like the whole, you know, idea phase and everything, where nothing really happens. And everything forms and here and this and, you know, detaches again and together again and away again and everything. There's always that period that nobody talks about. Like whenever I talk to founders, like, so when did you start it? They go like, well, we had the idea in 2008 and then in 2011, we, you know, established a company and this and that. Or there's always that incubation period that nobody ever talks about. It's not visible anywhere except in these conversations. Yeah. Well, let me let me quickly elaborate on, on Silicon Valley and, and take some myth out of it. I mean, Silicon Valley is is not big global. It's super local. It's 17 kilometers long. There is enough market. There is enough VC. All you have to do is go out there and meet all the people. So this is a local play. Silicon Valley is not a global play. Uh, it's just where it's happening. And um, that doesn't mean it's easy. Huh? It's a shark's tank. You got to be among the best, uh, etc. But you, if you're there, and and I would really encourage every every young uh, Swiss entrepreneur, 
to spend at least some time. And if he has the chance and if his life situation allows him to, to relocate and do it there, I think it's, it's, it's the best place because it is all there. It doesn't involve a lot of travel. The market is there. The money is there. Um, do it from there. If you do it here, I think we always had in mind, we want to build an international company. We, wanna, we always said we want to win customers on each and every continent. Um, and then, of course, it gets a lot harder. Distance, logistic is one. Cultural diversity is the next one. Silicon Valley, that's one culture. Uh, it's all positive. You know, we're all going to change the world for the better. If you look at it, they're only going to change the world for the better for the, for the few rich who can actually pay for their services. So I would really like to, to take this myth a bit, a bit down. Um, and, and I will go to, about that because now the company Dynatrace is actually a non-Silicon Valley U.S. company and the two main competitors are Silicon Valley companies. So this is a, a very uh, vivid talk also in, in, to, in my today's life. Um, so that's, that's Silicon Valley. Um, take, take some learnings out of that, but then do it wherever you're headquartered, wherever your locations are and take those specialities. And and in the end, it's the, it's the customer, right? It's the buyer's market. So if, if your customer is a, is a U.S. Silicon Valley-based customer, you've got to be, be closer to that. If your investor is a Silicon Valley-minded VC, you better be prepared for that as well. Um, we did our financing rounds uh, in, mainly in Switzerland, but we had some European investors as well. Uh, largest one money-wise was a Spanish investor, um, and, and let me quickly go on that. We decided to actually um, have the, the R&D center, the production of our software um, in, in Barcelona. That's why we also acquired um, the, the investor from Spain who, who said, hey, look, you are bringing uh, um, big benefits to the Spanish economy. Um, and with our center in Barcelona, that's, uh, that's a big contribution. And in the end, when we exited, we were close to 40 people and half of them actually in, in Barcelona. Um, yeah. Um, and, and maybe again, again on this and diversity culture, not just being Silicon Valley, but being Swiss headquartered, um, um, talking several languages by nature because we have to go out. The market is not big enough in Switzerland. Um, we said from the start, let's also build an international team. If we only look in our friend circle and take the Swiss employees, we're not going to manage to build an international company. So, and I think, if, especially in the fintech space in Switzerland, you see quite quite a lot of uh, startups who have the same mindset. And I think that's a success factor, um, but it's also a big challenge cultural-wise because it takes more time to explain. Um, quick example, um, Spanish employees, um, when there is a holiday, when there is a weekend, that's not working. They have all a very startup spirit and everything, but the culture says, hey, weekend holiday, it's family time. And we sometimes had releases and we had bug fixes and we needed them to come in on a Saturday, Sunday. And it, and it, it just ended up in big cultural clash, clashes and a lot of discussions. And... Uh, we weren't good enough to, to, to manage that um, on, a, on, on a personal level. So what we did, we mixed up the Barcelona team. We bought in an Ukrainian lead at one time. We had people from Cuba, from Sweden, from all over the world working for us in Barcelona. And with this diversity, 
uh, we managed to change uh, the culture at, at faster speed and actually uh, what we needed to, to deliver uh, in time and, and also uh, on, a, on a Sunday if needed. I love that. I mean, I love how you know, deep you go into the story of, of, of Qumran, how you built it and, and the key lessons already there. Um, just taking one step back, talking about entrepreneurship in general, um, what's your why? Like, why did you get involved in entrepreneurship in this really bumpy road in this very challenging, unpredictable, uncertain, most uncertain field of all, I would say? I mean, why go through all the trouble? Um, in the end, what's the meaning of life? Uh, I say, look, if you, if you take risks, um, if you're adventurous, uh, you learn a lot more about yourself. You learn a lot more about the people you care about, and 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 work is. Hi, it's it's. It doesn't matter if it's thirty hours a week, it's forty, if it's fifty, sixty, seventy. It takes a large chunk out of your weekly life, and and I rather do um, uh, learn something in in this time. And being an entrepreneur. Um, it's much more in your hands, or at least you think it's your perception that it's much more in your hands what you do though do during these hours, and 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 of course you you learn really a lot. And I'm not a um, I get bored about politics, and, and I think in in corporate worlds in large organization it's a lot about politics. Um, it's a lot about positioning yourself, and that's just super not attractive. But as I said, I'm, I'm not choosing not to do things. I, I really, I'm excited about the, the adventures, the learning. Um, Brad Feld, he's one of my heroes, one of the co-founders of Techstars. Um, his blog is amazing. So if you have a chance to go on, on, on felt.com and read some of his inputs. And he says, hey, look, do things, um, um, do the right things, do errors, learn every day. And that really, that really drives me. And then uh, I, have, I have kind of three, three always mantras, which in my head. And I say, dream big is the first one. You, you've got to do that. And that's exciting for everyone, building those castles in, in, your, uh, in your mind. Uh, that's exciting for everyone. Second one, I cannot do it myself. I'm, I'm a team player and I, you know, uh, I, need, I need a strong team around. So surround yourself with good people, second one. And then the third one is, is just, just get shit done. Uh, just in everyday life, just do it. Just like we do it now, the interview. Just you know, get it done. Um, make the best of it. Be prepared uh, and, and have, it, have it recorded and then share it. And the same with every pitch. It doesn't matter if it's in front of an investor, in front of a customer, if it's for an award. Kumram went really down and said, hey, look, it's also cool to win awards, uh, to be on stage, uh, but it takes some time. It's, it's just a seven minute, five minute, you have to be there. And do it, do it as good as you can, and, and you learn a lot. I love Hopefully, those three. I yeah. love those three. Um, in terms of the story, I want to dive a little bit more into the, the phases because you had different phases at the company you mentioned last time. You know, there was also a, a, a big dip phase and then we had the exit. So um, let's, let's quickly elaborate on that uh, and then go a bit more into the exit story. Yeah, it's, I would say let's put phase one. I already touched on that. Fully bootstrapped, small team. Um, we even uh, outsourced our core competence of, of the software development. We had that with a strong partner um, here in Switzerland. 
Um, and, and then second one was really, hey, Dream Big was not just a bootstrapped, slow-growing Swiss company, but we, we wanted to go international. In this second phase that came, Barcelona came to it. Uh, we added um, development and quality assurance um, out of India. We were going after German customers and partnership uh, in the UK. Um, and then we realized, hey, we're not going to manage through, uh, through bootstrapping. So the entire investment acquisition came to it. Um, as it was also the time when I stepped down being the CEO and brought Patrick into the company. Patrick had a, had a big corporate and also entrepreneurial background working a lot in the US. Uh, he was a big help uh, also in finding the investor and adding to the team. So this was phase two, really um, getting the money from investors, going international, winning the customers, building up Barcelona. So that's the second phase. And then third one was just growth. Uh, actually executing on, on what we had invested on. And right in this period, um, there, there, came the, there came interests from, from buyers and one of them being Dynatrace. Um, and it was, not, it was not on our plan to have the exit at this stage, but, but you always have to, to, to be open and look, and look at the interest. And their story, why they want to buy us was so convincing and the story for our team and, and, you know, to go our dream, to go international, go with a faster team was so attractive. It was a good story for the investors. So, uh, so we said, yes, let's do it. Let's start the next chapter. And that's, that's now Dynatrace. Now, that's really interesting. You know what you mentioned there um, in terms of exit. I mean, first of all, you said it wasn't on the plan for that year, obviously. Um, always, you know, look out for, always, always have an open eye for opportunities. That's one thing. But the other thing is the alignment between, you know, Kumram and Dynatrice, what you mentioned in terms of the stories, in terms of the alignment, I would say, um, because you had a vision, you have a very clear vision about the organization. And usually when there's a, an acquisition, that vision is gone because it's like, we want to acquire you because we want your users. We want your talent. And, you know, then it's all integrated and literally integrated and it's gone basically. Right. Um, but what you accepted basically was the alignment where you said, okay, so you guys actually, you know, the story why you want to buy is more about, um, what our vision actually is instead of just an exit itself. And I find that really interesting. Yeah, well, you know, they're, they're different levels. And I, I quickly can share that with you. So we were, uh, our position is we were going to be number one in RegTech, regulatory technology in the, in the fintech space. We were doing quite well on, on, that, on that track, um, really going after this niche market of digital compliance in the financial service. Dynatrace, Dynatrace is not interested in financial service only. They have a broad all across industry. So that's already not, you know, not a, not a perfect alignment. And compliance is definitely not their first, probably not their second, not third priority. They, want to, they are the best in IT monitoring. Um, and so their vision is going with, with the Qumran technology, going into in the user experience, in, in um, improvement in the entire digital transformation process. Um, and, uh, and so it's, if you look at it at first glance, it might not be the, the, the perfect visionary go to market, um, alignment, but what it is, and that's what they were super convincing. And that's why I say it's probably more, more important. There is a perfect cultural 
fit between the tech heads and how R&D is, is built in those two companies. It's all super modern, a very um, agile, continuous deployment, um, bringing out release, new release as fast as you can. So our, our Barcelona R&D team and their R&D teams, which are based in Linz, Austria, Danzig, uh, Gdańsk, uh, Poland, and Detroit, US, they, they, they share the same vision how perfect software is delivered. And the market use case is a different one. Huh? And so there, I think you have to be as an entrepreneur, you don't have to be too proud of yourself and, you know, and kind of let go of where you, where you were heading because there is a bigger fish to fry or there is a larger opportunity. It's all of the sudden, not just your niche market compliance in the financial industry, but it's all industries, global, and a lot more use cases. Um, and I think that's, that's a tough one as an entrepreneur because it's, um, you bring your family, you bring your team into something much bigger or number-wise. We were 40 and now it's 1,600. So it's 40 times bigger than what we were before. Um, and only if you manage to say, hey, me, myself, or our team, we are just part of something bigger and it's, it's not... It's not us, it's not Qumran who changed the world, but Qumran or the former Qumran can contribute to a bigger story, to a bigger case. And uh, I think this is right where we are. Uh, this is super, super exciting. I don't know for how long, uh, because maybe, as I said before, maybe it will get a bit too much into politics as well. Uh, and and then, uh, then it's time, definitely time, at least for me, uh, to move on but at the moment i think it's a it's a it's a super excited journey and uh positive for the for the next uh, few months and years uh, that's that's what i'll be doing i mean i love i love the exit story there because i mean it, it's in total alignment with your second life principle basically you know i can't do it we can't do it ourselves we can't do it alone i mean yeah. the way you talk about it and you say well you know it's not just because so many entrepreneurs at one point they get so maybe proud or ego driven that it's like, okay, we're the best. And you know, we gotta, we gotta run and run through the walls ourselves and everything, even though there will be somebody standing next to them that could build an actual door, you know? So yeah. as a metaphor, um, and you, you said, okay, um, if, if that's really true for me, and if I, if I really believe that we can't do it ourselves and this is a great opportunity, but it requires a different angle to look at an exit, not saying, okay, market fit is the number one priority because usually that's how companies do it. Like they buy a company and then they try to integrate the cultures, which usually doesn't work, right? So you looked at it and you said, okay, if we want to make this work, then um, starting from an alignment with culture makes a lot more sense, you know, because if all these guys in, in the tech area, in the company specifically, can actually work together and they have the same vision and they have the same way of looking at things already, then an integration on the market side is, well, it's not that, it's not rocket science at the end of the day and it may create an entirely new space for Dynatrace. It's a bit like saying, you know, in the digital transformation, it's a bit like saying, let's start with technology first or let's start with people first, right? I mean, yeah. what makes more sense? Almost everybody gets it that it makes more sense with people. But in the exit, I think it's a, it's a quite new or different way of looking at it. 
And, and I mean, they're really a lot of credit to Dynatrace. Uh, and that's in the end why, why we agree. Uh, I mean, they, they did a really proper uh, market validation. They looked at uh, 30 session recording and replay tools. We came up on top from technology standpoint. And again, that's Swiss engineers, Swiss design. We never would have placed, we would probably have said we are, we are top three. Uh, but, but then, you know, really being number one evaluated by a top tech company globally, that, I mean, that was, that's great. And that's, at the end, that was the, the biggest asset we created, or at least the one that was um, 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 valued highest at the exit. And then the, the second part, as you said, but they looked at the culture and they did it in a very good way. So they brought their tech leads into Barcelona prior to the acquisition and they had a lot of chats. So we went, and I want to share that because I think it's, it's good for entrepreneurs. How do you handle a situation like this? So we told our Barcelona team, because you cannot really say, because negotiation only started, you cannot say that that's going to end in an exit. So we said, it's, we're looking at partnership. We're looking at building a joint venture. And for that, we need to see how the teams work together, how technology works together. And we had workshops. And, and they were super impressed how open our team was and not sticking to, hey, no, our tech is the best. We would not adapt. Let's, let's see what is the best of both worlds. And again, there I come back to why, why was that possible? Diversity. We didn't only have the Spanish because the Spanish by nature, by culture, they're super proud and they would always put their tech always first. I would say... Swiss engineers, a bit similar. But we had the Eastern Europe influence. We had the Cuban influence. We had the coolness of the Swedes. So they kind of said, hey, let's, let's be not, not so personal about tech. It's just tech. Let's really look at the best, best thing. And I think this is key. And also down the road for this Barcelona team, they are now growing from, from 15 people in the next two years is the plan to grow up to 50 um, and, and internationalism in recruiting will be key. Uh, and and I, that's what I really encourage every entrepreneur. It's, it's more interesting, you know, to not, to not to learn all the different languages, but to see um, how people are approaching work, uh, what their ideas are. And, and uh, um, I think it's, it's also easier to see yourself not as, as the center of the universe and, and less egoistic uh, if, you, if, you, if you touch on all these uh, all these different cultures and, and rituals and the way uh, people want to have a beer after work, etc. Makes life a lot easier if you don't take yourself too serious. That's for yeah, sure. Absolutely. One step I want to, I just wait, quickly want to one, one step back into the growth phase because yeah. there's always growth pains, you know, that come with growth. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm curious about how you work together as founders of the company or as the management team itself. Did you, did you start out and continue do that way in terms of your roles and responsibilities and said it's very, very clear defined and, you know, that's how you worked, you know, in terms of responsibilities, in terms of expertise in areas and things like that? Or was that always a lot of overlay and or like which routes did you go and, and how did you make sure that not everybody's working on the same thing, that everybody's covered and that's sort of that there's a, there's a synchronizing um, work uh way of working that actually contributes to the greater vision yeah it's a super interesting question and, and not an not an easy one to answer uh, i we had we had the chance um that in our team we had a lot of 
generalists, so, that, so to say, people who are capable of being on stage or, or planning a marketing campaign or doing execution on sales or even deliver the project or in R&D, actually be on the core development team or be on the customer side delivering. So we had, and I think it, that's, that's natural for the beginning of the startup. You have more generalists. And then with the growth phase, we started to hire specialists. So we had special engineers for certain technology in Barcelona. We had two marketing experts in the UK, which have had a marketing career all their life. And then, of course, they are more specialized. Um, the founders, we kept our general approach. And I think that's, that's important because you have to, to, to jump across those gardens and just keep the bigger vision. And then or in the organization, you... Uh, uh, in, in the points or in the domains where you're mature enough, you can go after the experts and then really hire those. And I think we did that in, in two areas. Uh, one was R&D uh, and, and the project, project delivery. So actually two technical ones and then in, in marketing. In sales, we still had, um, and, and I, was, I was heading that, we still had a very um, general approach. We worked a lot with partners and, and freelancer sales in this in this part of the organization um just just also to keep the cost of sales at a, at a reasonable level that's a very interesting way of, uh, of of going about it also when it's growing of how do you like how do you how do you expand it in terms of you know the the people you work with in terms of the different models you work with and you chose a couple of different models there which was uh, really interesting and also saying well you know there's there there are responsibilities but it's always going to be you know um it's always going to be shared at the end of the day um, for the greater vision. Yeah, and that's that's key. I, for me, it doesn't matter if uh, to build up a strong team which goes in the same direction. For me, it's not important that they're all on your payroll. Um, I know there is different opinion out there, but I say, hey, look, you can work with a, with freelancer, with part-time people, as long as they share your vision and they believe that we can move something greater, it also works. Um, of course, from a, from a management perspective, it gets harder. If you have one person 100% on the control under your payroll, but for me, that's very old school um, looking um, of management. For me, the new way is hey, we have to excite, um, excite people. And, and you know, even a person who only works 20, 30%, that means one, one and a half day per week for you. If she or he is super excited, she will free herself or, or find ways that she can work more and more because this one and a one and a half day is the best day of her week. And this as a founder, as a leader, that's where you have to go. And then, huh? and then it's, it's much, it's, it, everything gets much easier. And of course, again, in a successful scenario, in a winning, in a growing scenario, easy in a, losing decreasing scenario much harder um, um but, but 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 that's like huh let's say sports life, yeah. it's, it's it's life it's sports if you have the momentum going um uh and, 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 and but you have to always you know you have to build small momentums have uh, for us for us it was of course um during the last three years it was winning a lot of awards uh, because that was an easy play for us and that also gives motivation. Is that adding net cash to your P&L? No, it's not. But it gets everyone excited. It's exciting for the investors, etc. So you need to find those. 
Um, some people have a super strong culture, you know, in, in building team events. We were a bit too old. We all had family at home, so we couldn't do so many team events, beer at five. That was just out of, out of our options um, to, to build this um, momentum, to build this culture. But I think you need to find this, um, uh, and it can be in many aspects. Um, and, and don't only look at it um, from winning deals um, or increasing numbers because uh, that's, that's, in the end, it's the most important metric, but uh, there are others. Uh, it's, yeah. I find that really interesting, but there, there's sort of like two levels how to work with an organization. There's, you know, there's, there's income and there's asset. I mean, what you talked about is asset level because, you know, at the end of the day, the brand itself is the asset. It doesn't generate direct income into the P&L, right? It's not income, yep. but it's an asset. And at the end of the day, when it comes to exit or anything or, you know, or, or leverage or, or trade or anything like that, asset is key. Income is key to sort of like get you above the water and keep you, keep you above the water, right? Which is nice and everything. That's, that's really important. But then asset is sort of, that's where the leverage is. And I love that you pointed this out. Yeah. Now, um, yeah. I just um, wanted to say thank you so much for diving into the story. Um, I mean, maybe one or two last thoughts from your side, maybe one or two last things that you wanted to share before we wrap up. Yeah, maybe um, um, two lessons learned. Huh? Um, I would say... Um, uh, People, people is really key uh, in the beginning uh, and when recruiting and hiring, uh, and we knew that. Um, but there is never enough time and energy you can put into that. So uh, for everyone, really take that super serious. I think uh, whoever is in charge for hiring in HR should be uh, uh, one of the top person in, in your company. Um, that's, that's one thing. Um, we did great. We had super people, but we could have done um, even better. Um, and this is also true now being in a, in a larger organization. And the second one is um, we had the vision, as I said, we wanted to build a global software company. We wanted to have customers on every continent. And that was driving us. That was helping us in the recruiting strategy as well. But we didn't really have um, the finish line. Uh, so we didn't know um, like what happened now with Dynatrace, that was really not on, on our agenda. So it took us by surprise, by nice surprise, but it was not really there. And I think it's important to kind of say, hey, look, my long-term goal is, is to win that or go to that phase. And then, and, and then if we reach that, we want to go into a large organization or we want to do an IPO or you know, kind of talk about it um, in, in circles, this might change, but have this, have this finish line um, in mind because it helps. Uh, and then especially if, if you're in the discussion of crossing this finish line, you've already talked about it. And we had to do it in a, in a super fast way because we haven't before. And so we had to do that in a, in, in a very short time towards the end of, end of the Qumran game. I love that. Oh, but... Love that. Very big lessons, especially in entrepreneurship, but also in life in general. So um, once again, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate you having here and uh, have a great day. Yeah, and, and again, my last call out. Thanks, uh, thank Daniel. Um, thanks everyone who, who, who might be watching that and, and reach out to me. You can also put my contact details. I would say LinkedIn is probably the best source. Uh, I'm more than happy, you know, to, to share my little my little experience and, and, and maybe I can 
I can help out some of you. So that would be great. Thanks for listening to The Aligned Leader. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe so you get full access to all the newly released episodes every Wednesday. Do you have any topics that you would like us to cover? Then send us an email to daniel at leadersbridge.org and we'll work on it. And if you'd like to learn more about our initiatives, for example, like the CEO Collaboration Day, head over to leadersbridge.org.